everyone. Welcome to Close, the New York Real Estate Podcast. I'm Emily Kahigas, and I'm here with Cooper Nolan. Today, we're speaking with Kate Whittles. Kate is a partner at the consulting firm of HR&A, where she assists developers and governments in understanding and utilizing technology to improve urban environments in which we live. Welcome, Kate. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks, both. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. So I guess we want to get started and, and ask... Um, Maybe you could begin by explaining what an innovation district is and give us some background on the work you've done creating these districts in places like Houston and Chicago. Sure. Um, an innovation district is, um, at the end of the day, a really great urban place where um, research and development gets transformed into businesses um, and people want to be there. So. It's a concept that was developed um, really out of the Brookings Institute um, a number of years ago, and they realized there were these kind of secondary nodes in Midtown, so not in the core CBD, but maybe like this, the second kind of ring um, adjacent to universities where companies were starting to locate and there were other support kind of um, services to grow um, startups into to establish companies and also be thinking about workforce development and kind of other other areas. Um, you know, Cambridge is, Massachusetts is cited as a innovation um, district, Midtown Atlanta, Tech Square um, is cited as one. Um, and what, you know, we really do is come in and help developers or cities um, think about how do you create these places so they're accessible, they're um, driving economic activity for the, for the city. Um, usually when developers are building places, they just have to think about the bricks and sticks. But um, there's a lot of programming um, and kind of thinking about what happens within the buildings that are really important um, to create kind of a, a thriving innovation district. And so that tech transfer happens and those businesses grow um, and people can, you know, gain jobs and employment um, from the economic activity that is in the district. So, Cooper, <laughs> um, so what type of businesses are you, or do you primarily see moving into these, these buildings, these districts? Um, what is the, is it a particular, you know, industry, a particular focus? Yeah. I mean, usually it's like um, life science, technology. I mean, usually it's like, you know, building on, um, research and developments coming out of um, research organizations, so universities or other types of institutes, um, and then um, evolving into kind of, you know, smaller businesses or bigger businesses and big businesses want to be next to small businesses. Um, you know, law firms, accounting firms, kind of all of those support, consulting firms, all those support functions, um, can locate within innovation districts because they want to be adjacent to those um, kind of innovative companies that would be their clients, but they aren't the primary kind of um, tenant, if you will. Sorry, sorry, but I was I was ready to jump in a second ago, and my wife was walking through the room making a lot of noise, so I was I was on mute and then trying not to hop back on when I when when there was like a loud commotion and opening the door and taking out the trash, so. That's the fun of, of recording a podcast episode at home. But yeah. um, 
so, so in terms of in terms of creating an innovation district, is it when when you become kind of involved in looking at these places? Like I know you've been involved in 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 creating these or working on these in places like Chicago and Houston. Are you? Is it really kind of a ground up process, or is it looking at a at a place that you sort of think like has the tools already, has some of these um, specific factors? Like you mentioned, it's close to a university, or there's already some um, some big companies that are located there. And there's kind of, you're looking at it and saying like, oh, there's, I I see the potential there to kind of make some tweaks to get it there. Or are you really like looking at a flat plot of land and saying, we're going to create an innovation district here and, and starting kind of really from scratch? I mean, it's, um, usually we, we get involved because there is, um, either a university has land and they like, we want to um, build upon the research and activity that is happening here to generate more revenue. Um, Or uh, a city, a mayor is like, I want Cornell tech in my city. I want a shiny new thing. Um, And really you need to have kind of an underlying, um, the innovation district and the innovation ecosystem for that city has to build upon the underlying strengths of that, that economy. Um, and the theme of it should, should follow. So if you have a lot of meds and eds then a lot of the innovation and research that's happening should be in life science and build upon that. If you are, you know, historically manufacturing, then kind of technology that builds upon manufacturing and kind of evolves it into the new economy is what would be around there. Um, what we come in, I, you know, I think when you're building any place, it's like building a stew. There's a lots of different ingredients. It might not matter what order you put the ingredients in, but at the end of the day, they all have to come together to create that, that flavor. Um, and so a lot of times we come in and we say, okay, you have like this land that has a lot of potential, has great transit access. Um, it is close to employment centers. Um, that's great. Um, you don't have incubators and accelerators um, that will help grow some companies. So you got to like bring those in and fund them or some of your regulatory or um, other sorts of workforce development programs aren't in place. Um, and so you have to build that. So it's, it's looking at kind of what programs you have related to people. So like what talent does this place have? What are they training? Um, what programs do you have around place? And um, is this place, does it have, you know, the natural, um, characteristics of being a great urban place. Um, and then, you know, what programs do you have in place that are helping, um, businesses grow and people, uh, gain skills in those businesses? Is, is there any one factor that you think is like the crucial, like you, you mentioned a number of times, like the, the proximity to a university and research is, is like that kind of the, the a one kind of priority or, or is there, or transportation hubs? Like, is there, is there kind of one above all else that, that really trumps, trumps everything else? I think you need to have some sort of engine of economic activity and engine of innovation, right? Cause it's about, um, catalyzing the commercialization of new ideas into growing businesses. So whether that's, um, a university, or it could be a you know large aspect of, of the government that does R and D, um, and you know it could be a lot of times we're starting to think look at like these military bases and how can those be um, engines of, of economic activity and spurring off um, different types of businesses. So um, 
but you need you need something is driving the innovation. What would you say is the biggest difficulty you run into? You're doing this all over the country. I'm sure some things pop up all the time that it's like, oh, dealing with this hurdle again. Um, yeah. Is there something like that that's consistent throughout all these projects? Yeah, a lot of them, when they're driven by economic uh, development objectives, um, you know, they're good at, at growing new businesses. Um, they aren't always good at making sure that those businesses look like the population that lives in that city. So there's usually um, um, diversity challenges, whether, whether it's women, whether it's race, um, where they haven't opened up those access, access to those opportunities to everyone in the city. Um, that's hard. It's hard, but um, it needs to be intentionally focused. And it's hard if a developer is driving the development of the innovation district, they're not um, always prioritizing kind of uh, expanding economic opportunity to people. Right? Like, probably that's, have the role, their- that's the role of government, right? And government views that as a priority. So how do you kind of get developers who are spending the money to create these places to also encourage their tenants or the tenanting that they do that um, to address equity and inclusion in the workforce. Um, that's the big challenge. Right. I can see that. Yeah. We, we are, we're a, you know, as we mentioned, we're a New York city real estate law firm and that's, and, and this podcast kind of focuses on New York city real estate issues. Um, are there, are there specific examples in New York city um, that, that would kind of qualify as a, as an innovation district? Very much so. So um, uh, I think the, you know, the Brooklyn Tech Triangle, which is the Navy Yard, downtown Brooklyn, Dumbo, has been looked at as a, a large kind of innovation district. The, the Navy Yard, of course, being, you know, a 300 acre um, uh, district that has, you know, has new lab um, and has um, a very wide range of different types of spaces and different types of, of companies. And they're you know, they've taken on a role of um, trying to help their tenants grow and being a connector between tenants. Like one manufacturer has this type of technology, another one needs that technology. Um, it, it's looked at as a, a national example of a, a really great um, innovation district. Um, another one that's kind of privately developed is Industry City. Um, thinking through... Um, and kind of, you know, they had the type of space, they had a significant amount of, of vacant and underutilized space. And so, you know, over the years, they've been trying to figure out how to tenant that in a way that's creating um, more businesses and fostering. And I think what's really interesting at Industry City is you have the retail on the ground floor, and then yeah. you have some of the makers who are of that retail, like Design with Reach up above, um, and really thinking through Kind of, I think there is more the connection to workforce and how do they get the adjacent communities to get those jobs, um, as well as you know, there's been lots of talk of what is the the university connection to supporting those um, the growing businesses that want to be within industry city. That's all privately funded, right? And and can you, and and in as as opposed to the the Navy Yard, which is much more of like a a public private partnership. Yeah, the Navy Yard's a public-private partnership, so they're able to, while they're, you know, separate from from City Hall and don't have to, the, you know, I think uh, the mayor does appoint, appoint the board chair, um, 
they're able to offer rents um, and underwrite in um, a much lower um, way than than a private developer can. Um, so. His, historically, has there been any correlation between like the success of these districts and the involvement of the the local the local governments? I think in all these, you need involvement in the local government because some of the aspects of a successful innovation district require um, can't fully be driven by uh, the return metrics that a developer has, right? Or the developer can't carry some of those programs and still make a return on those on on the project, and so it needs the partner um, from government, usually in the the workforce side or in the um, the funding side of, you know, uh, supporting small businesses growing into bigger businesses or funding incubators um, or in the zoning. Um, you know, that's, I think, been a hindrance for Industry City is, is the zoning. Um, you need partnership with government there. So from your perspective, because this is very new to me, um, and, you know, when I think of technology in cities, I think of Silicon Valley or, or Texas. That's the first to come to mind. New York is not necessarily the first place I would think for it. Um, what, what do you see the growth looking like for New York in creating areas and places that um, promote this technological growth and this, this combination of um, urban infrastructure and technology? Yeah, I mean, New York has the second largest uh, tech workforce outside of Silicon Valley. So um, there's, uh, I want to say, like 350, 370,000 people who work in the tech ecosystem in New York. Um, and, you know, technology isn't just um, kind of at, uh, as software developer companies, but technology is really realizing itself in many other sectors of our economy and a lot of our core industries are calling them tech company themselves tech the New York Times can call themselves tech company Goldman Sachs could say they're te- you know they're producing a lot of technology we're, um, we're a tech company that's what we always say yeah um, you're delivering law in a new way but I think I think you know so New York is is definitely a powerhouse it's been growing and I think some of the reasons it's been growing is that New York has traditionally been a very desirable place to live it's a great quality of of life, there's so much excitement and, and, and opportunity here that you don't always get in Silicon Valley, per se. Um, and if New York wants to continue to be a thriving tech ecosystem, we have to focus on ensuring that we have um, a good place to live, whether that's affordability issues, whether that's quality of life issues, whether that's our, our school system. Um, Has there been any rethinking about about some of these places um, in kind of the aftermath of the pandemic and and with kind of remote work becoming kind of more of a you know everyday yeah. thing a staple of, of and people maybe maybe you know don't need to it doesn't matter if they live quite as close and are as close to a transportation hub or, or sort of how, how has that affected uh, thinking around these issues I mean I think that's like a huge question right right now. Um, is what is the role of cities? Cities were having an agglomeration effect, right? And so you wanted to have more density here because then you had a better chance of your business finding the right customer or a customer finding the right type of business. And now um, with technology and the ability to kind of work from anywhere, really trying to think about what is the role of cities. And I think it comes down to experience. Like 
people will want to leave their house and work together if they believe the experience they're going to get in the office space is unique and beneficial. Um, they may not have to do the production of the work in the office space. I think, um, you know, are we still going to have millions and millions of square feet of office? Yes. Yeah. So are we going to build significantly about more office? I don't know. We may be repurposing a lot of our spaces into different types of places to work. So, you know, and there has been that movement, right? Working out in restaurants during the day, becoming co-working spaces and at night being restaurants, right? Um, or co-working being kind of an offering of residential. And you're seeing that um, both kind of some of the big developers offering, you know, office space and co-working space in, within a floor or two of their, their buildings. Um, so I think um, companies, I think cities will be relevant so long as the experience being in a city is, um, is a good value proposition for people. Have, have you noticed any like shift towards, and, and maybe this kind of dovetails with some of the other, other stuff that you've done some research on I, I saw the stuff with the short-term rental market in um, in, in Colorado towns. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, if that, uh, you know, just cause it's maybe not a direct, a direct, uh, I don't know, correlation, but um, is there, has there been any kind of like creation of smaller uh, in, in some of these like ski towns where you have kind of like, it's not quite the same as like an industry city or the Navy yard, but you may have kind of the creation of, you know, some of these like innovation zones in a, in a smaller town where it's, it, it doesn't look like what it looks like in a, in a major city, but some of these smaller places are really sort of building it around lifestyle and, and trying to recruit, um, businesses and, and kind of, maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't have all the same ingredients, but it's kind of, a similar, a similar kind of goal of trying to recruit people to live and work in a different way. Yeah. I think, um, something really interesting to watch is, so, you know, common, the, um, the co-living developer. Yeah. Um, so they, I want to say like a year and a half ago, um, put out a, a remote, remote work hub and they wanted to partner with developers who wanted to bring common in, but also offer, um, like workspace. Um, and so I think they shortlisted, I don't know, five or seven from that, that call for proposals of um, projects in very different parts of the country, some kind of third tier cities that were like, resurging and um, some in resort communities in you know, Utah, Colorado, and some in kind of lifestyle cities like um, New Orleans or and the like. So I think, um, those are starting to, to build up um, and it's going to be interesting to watch as those projects evolve over time. What's a project that you think all cities, well, that may be broad because large ones differ from small ones, but an aspect specifically that you think everybody could benefit from that could be added to a city? An aspect of technology. technology. I mean, I think the continual mixing of uses. So our, our project that we've been working a lot on in Houston, which is um, the Ion Innovation District, it was, you know, Houston wasn't shortlisted for Amazon and they said, let's do it anyway. Let's do this project anyway. Um, you know, thinking about, adapt so it's an adaptive reuse of a former Sears with a mix of 
co-working, class A office, workforce development, retail, residential, and trying to be an anchor for the rest of the district that will you know, be developed over time. I think having all of that mix within a single building in adaptive reuse is something that um, many cities, I think, are looking at and thinking about um, and should continue thinking about because I don't think we're going to be kind of doing as much ground up as we're going to be repurposing given this kind of blending of, of how we live and work and shop um, going forward. It's interesting because that has changed drastically in recent times, you know, from just going to the store, just going to the office. Like you were mentioning earlier, you may have a building with, you know, a recreational space with different businesses. So now seems to be a very exciting time to be doing the the type of work you're doing. It's a lot of possibilities. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of possibilities. I mean, I think we've been very certain about what role cities play. Um, in, in their lives. And I think this is just a very um, transformative, the, the book hasn't been written yet on the, what the next chapter is for, for cities and technology. Are, are you seeing similar trends, like similar focus on this in, in outside the United States as well? Um, yeah, there's, there's like innovation districts kind of in every major city, London, um, South Africa, you know, um, Cape Town, like uh, there's a institute called the Global Innovation District Center. So there's I think there's like 400 different districts that they track across the country. Um, So, uh, you know, people wanted to work together. They wanted resources. Smaller businesses want to be near bigger businesses. Universities wanted to spin out their um, technology and people need to want to, you know, be in really cool, interesting places. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of these districts, like a third to half of them are residential. So they're all like pretty, you know, the good ones are pretty mixed use, you know, great urban places at the end of the day. Yeah. Interesting. Emily, I don't know if you have any final questions, but I feel like that's. I have one more question. Um, What is your personal vision for cities in the future, and maybe that's broad, but I'm curious from somebody who does this all the time, and and you know you see different projects happening and different ideas. Um, you know what would excite you about the future to 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 see happen? I mean, I um, am a believer in in cities and urban life, and think it will uh, continue. I think um, really thinking about experience, like what is the experience that I'm going to have to go to this other place, whether it's for um, eating, shopping, traveling, doing work, um, learning, but really I think what is what is that in-person, in real life experience that we're having um, and how do we improve upon that to keep cities relevant? I mean, there's so much that we can do without leaving our homes over technology, but um, cities offering that great in-person urban experiences, I think what um, excites me and figuring out kind of what's the new, what's the new street life? What is it going to look like? Um, you don't we, just see us all living in innovation zones in the metaverse. That's not the future. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like humans do want to work, you know, want to be together in some way. Um, and so want that human touch and there'll be a role for the metaverse and for doing things digitally. But 
we are, uh, we do travel in tribes, right? And want to be with each other in some way. All right. Well, I think that's a good, a good place to stop. Um, yeah. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, uh, for chatting with us. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, is there a place that people can find more of your research on this topic or, or contact you if they have further questions? Yeah. Um, HRNA Advisors is uh, my consulting firm. So it's hrnaadvisors.com. Um, you'll see a slew of different types of projects. We work on anything from affordable housing to innovation districts to you know tra- transit-oriented development. So um, you can check that out. Cool. All right, Kate. Well, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, guys. For more on all things real estate and the law, subscribe to this and our other podcasts. Follow Bergstein, Flynn, and Knowlton on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and go to bfklawoffice.com. That's bfklawoffice.com to learn more.